Welcome to Bo's Cafe. Good morning. Here we are. We usually tease Bruce for not being here, but today's not a good day to tease. Today we ask him to stay away. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. not been feeling well. He's yeah. sick yeah. once, like a generation. Exactly, and he and gets it like a full blown storm. Is it. It's yeah. he's he's in that season of something bronchial or whatever or flu, and so we're missing him today. But normally we tease him, but today I can't tease him. They just yeah. pray for the man. Yeah, yeah exactly. that'd be a great thing to do. Yeah. All right, I'm in 1988, and uh, I'm going to go into it and, and quickly so we have enough time to give some response to it. I stumbled into a community of grace while wildly theologically opposed to the concept. I didn't learn this way of life in seminary. These young believers at Open Door Fellowship probably didn't even know they were in, influencing me so strongly. They didn't even know how to cogently articulate what was happening to them but I watched them live with each other so well and it all got through to me for two years I was preaching to them all I knew a man up buck up pile of theological sounding self-importance and parroted platitudes they endured it I was boldly proclaiming a moralistic sin management doctrine while hiding the pain of my own compromise and immaturity it happens almost all the time everywhere we have a gift, and it finds us a platform. We fall in love with being important. People actually think we know what we're talking about. And the greatest drive is to keep our platform because people start to admire us. So we create a pretend, competent, assured self, hoping to buy ourselves some time. But it makes us less healthy and less teachable. They don't know we're lying. God still is growing them up in spite of our carefully polished mush. So a gifted, clever, funny, articulate young preacher blusters and poses as having a maturity and wisdom he does not actually possess. Looking back, I can't understand why they didn't stop me. It's like they had a meeting. Anyone else knows this kid is bluffing? Maybe if we stay close, eventually he'll catch on. We're not buying his line. He may let us in, and then we get to watch the kid mature into these truths. Either way, he's still pretty funny. So a community gradually teaches a preacher what to preach. Awakening. It's exceedingly difficult for anyone to understand grace as anything other than a theological position unless they experience it in community. John, I just think we need to pause. Yeah. I really do. I I feel we, we just need to uh, look at that awakening yeah. and uh, understand something that we live in, teach, try to help leaders understand all the time. Environments make a huge difference. Hmm. They just do. And whether that's the environment of just, say, the three of us this morning mm-hmm. or the environment of a church. And, and part, of, part of what that awakening is saying to us is that, again, in isolation, I cannot experience the grace of God. I can with God, but I can't fully experience it unless I'm in community with you. Yeah. And, and your words can lie to me, but a community over time can't lie to me. Exactly, because they're going to they're going to in fact live out. I remember in the early days we used to say to people, don't don't even imagine coming to Open Door Fellowship because you uh, love our program or our music or whatever. Look around this place and make a decision. Go talk to ten people who've been here three to five years. Because in three to five years, you're going to be like that. 
I always hated that when you said it because I'd look around the room and I'd see some of the folks we have and thought, no, 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 don't don't say that. The, 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 good, the good folk haven't shown up today. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that reality. But that is our reality. That's right. It, it really is our reality. So, so I just felt we needed to just pause in that and say, look, there is something critical to experiencing grace. It requires us to be humble and trust in God and others with who we are. Hmm. Well said. All right, I'll keep going, even though we probably could stop there. I remember the Sunday it happened. Some call it a grace awakening. Bruce McNichol calls it meeting Jesus for the first time all over again. For months I'd been studying Ephesians and I'd been rocked by Paul's overarching account of what Christ had completed in us already. He's teaching the only way to live is to trust who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. He's pleading that we try no other method to face our sin and failures. I'm arguing with Paul all week before preaching this passage. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I keep rereading Romans 7 and 8, Philippians 3, 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and Galatians 2, 20. They are forming a chorus convincing me I'm a saint who still has sin but is adored rather than a saved sinner who is a grave disappointment to God. Yeah, 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 but what about personal responsibility? What about fighting the good fight? What about living with fear and trembling? For so long, those verses appeared to demand a buck-up response. Now they are slamming up against this new conviction of a Christ who had already radically changed me and is now maturing me in his perfect timing. A friend had recently given me a copy of Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. Manning is destroying me with his ragged and brutal admission of his pretense, arrogance, and pretending. He's building a case for trusting only in Christ's power in him and the unwillingness of God to receive even my own condemnation. He's exposing my charade. This Sunday morning's message begins with an apology. I say something's happening inside me. And I've been bluffing to you, trying to impress you with my seminary insights and knowledge of the original languages. I actually don't know enough of either to understand what I'm talking about. I've talked tough and told you to be sold out to God. The truth is I'm not doing this life very well. I'm in a continual battle of willpower against sin, and I'm losing badly. I have no idea how to communicate what I'm beginning to understand about living out a new identity. It's pretty elusive to me. I'm sorry it's taken me this long. I only know I'm tired of forcing the Bible to say what I think it should say. And I wanted to tell you, I, I, I've wanted to tell you off so I could get you people to be better. It's been ugly and humbling to realize I'm the one who doesn't know how to be better. So that's all I've got right now. God sets me on a course that morning to discover how to articulate this way of life in Christ. This time it will not be in isolation, but in a community, learning it together. Jesus has been waiting for me to start reading the word without a shame and moralistic filter. Only then could I understand him saying this to me. You and I are absolutely and completely now fused with each other. Your strength, joy, peace, everything will come from risking this to be true. We are melded as precious metals. Yes, I am God and you are human, but the unthinkable has happened. All of you is infused in, all of me is infused into all of you. It's impossible to discern where I begin and you end. I'm no longer God up there with you down here. I am now closer than a burning bush, a vision, or even Peter sitting next to me. I am now identified by you, my dear friend. Your true identity is Christ in you. 
You may absolutely put your entire weight upon this. It most perfectly honors what the cross and resurrection accomplished. Please don't shy from this in some religious sense of it being too good or too true or beyond your worth. This declares your worth. Enjoy this with all your being. Don't waste a day of pretending it's not true. I promise you it is. And the final awakening is this. We are all screwed up. Only bad religion can cause us to pretend we're not. We're still compromised and maturing, even on our best day. It's just better to know we are. Wow. True. Wow. It's, it's, it's so wonderful to have you read that to us, John. Mm-hmm. It's just so wonderful. It's like, is it possible for me to believe that I can be honest about who God says I really am? Mm-hmm. Could I be honest about that? Mm-hmm. Our religious part of our Christianity won't allow it. Mm-hmm. It just won't allow it because it somehow feels like we have to defend God and his holiness and his righteousness by acting as if we were. Instead of the very fact we are righteous and holy, validating his. Yeah. It's just like, oh my gosh, really? David Pinkerton? I know this guy. Come on. He can't be. No. I mean, it's easier for me than, than John. David, look at John. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. really, really, brothers, this is this is the message of grace. Yeah. Yeah, it causes me to just say, God, are we still passing this on? Is this community still doing this for new John Lynch's and David Pinkerton's exactly. and Bill Thralls? You know? Exactly. And and all over the world. Are those communities getting to model in front of someone who's because I think we walk into our church experience like me. We just, uh, I'm yeah. being better than you are. I'm trying harder. I'm right. doing. I'm on the comparison list with you, and I, we're doing. Pre- I'm doing pretty well, and I don't know how else that would get changed. Well, I, th- I think you know it takes time. It has to take time because you can't say what it is that they're going to experience in grace and convince them that it's going to be That's better. Right. It just turns into kind of a. This, if you're already comparing yourselves, oh, you think you have a better gospel than me. You think you're a, exactly David. something well better said. than me. So, it has to be over the course of time an environment of people who are just living and loving and and being really screwed up and being honest about it to some extent, at least. Mm-hmm. And someone saying, "This is this is awkward. These people are messy. I don't like this. I am better than them." And then realizing along the way, I'm bluffing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but that's the awakening. It is. It is. It takes it's, time. It's the unbluffing is the awakening. But then the next step is, can I say I am? Yeah. And what a gift for that's someone. That's the miracle. To be there and, for and someone And the next step, what would happen them. if I do admit exactly. I'm bluffing? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. To be there for someone Those else. are breakthrough days. They are. And and we we can hope them, we can preach them, but I love what you just said. We have to live in them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it becomes an argument of theology. And we're good at that because it's my way of deferring or deflecting. Yes. But almost no one ever gets convinced by it. Yeah. But it's so frustrating because if you're, let's say you and your spouse or you and your family feel like the only ones who are even trying this, then you would very much want to convince everyone else of it. And how would you even get enough time to convince, well, I'm just going to live around them so gracefully that they will understand. And so it's it's frustrating, but it's also true that you could be that for someone else. Absolutely. absolutely. 
It just would take more time than you would ever want it to. <laughs> it's so freeing. Let's just be that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so freeing. All my life as a believer, I've, I've been wanting to be that person who is who I am no matter where I am. Yeah. Whether I'm last week fishing with my family or this week ministering to a couple that's in crisis. Yeah. I want to be yeah. free to be me. Yeah. And, and uh, if we can learn that, I, we all know this because we teach it all the time. It just creates an unbelievable influence way beyond anything we could have imagined. Wow. I just know with all the frustration and slowness of what it takes to model that and live it without trying to prove anything, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Amen. And you don't have to do it perfectly because you're imperfect. So exactly. That, it's like one of the few things where you're like, I can do this really well without doing it really well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I can take that mantle on. <laughs> and you do. Yeah. You're hey, very good at it, David. I haven't complimented yeah. you about that. <laughs> well, uh, praise God, John. Those are incredible awakenings this morning. They mm -hmm. just they do create a hope. Mm -hmm. But I think David's right. In some people, it's like, uh, there's nothing like that for me. That's right. So instead of creating a hope, it creates a discouragement. That's right. Unless, David, they become the first among are willing to risk it for the benefit of others, mm -hmm. then, then there's hope. And we hope this podcast is one of those things that keeps encouraging you if you're in that position. That's yeah. why we're doing this. So, Amen. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with Bruce McNichol by our yeah, side very, very much so. on a heavy dose of antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye.